Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Inklings Variety Hour, where Annika and I will be talking to author Gina D'Alfonso about her new book, Dorothy and Jack, which traces the friendship of Dorothy Sayers and C.S. Lewis. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Um, Next week, please also join us for our next installment of Till We Have Faces. Megan is still on hiatus from the podcast, so we'll be discussing chapters five and six with Inkling scholar Serena Higgins. Serena has also very graciously invited us and our listeners to join her virtually at Signum University's annual Texas Language and Literature Symposium, better known as TexMoot, where a number of scholars will hold conversations about ancient and medieval literature, classic sci-fi and fantasy, and contemporary pop culture. TexMoot happens all day online on February 13th, and you should still be able to register if you're interested. It should be a lot of fun. In the meantime, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Gina D'Alfonso as much as I did. If you do, consider picking up Gina's book, Dorothy and Jack. And now, on to the Inklings Variety Hour. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. you like to introduce our guest? Sure. Gina D'Alfonso is the author of Dorothy and Jack, The Transforming Friendship of Dorothy L. Sayers and C.S. Lewis, and One by One, Welcoming the Singles in Your Church, which, by the way, every pastor needs to read in America, please. Um, An editor of The Gospel in Dickens, which is part of Plow Publishing's Gospel and Great Books series. Her work has been published in The Atlantic, Christianity Today, First Things and Elsewhere, um, and her new book review substack, which I highly recommend, is dearstrangethings.substack.com. Uh, Gina, it is such a delight to have you on our show. Thanks so much for coming today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the Inklings Variety Hour. We're so excited to have you on uh, to, talk about, uh, to talk about your book, Dorothy and Jack. Um, Subtitle is The Transforming Friendship of C.S. Lewis and Dorothy Sayers. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Dorothy L. Sayers and C.S. Dorothy Lewis. Dorothy L. Sayers and C.S. Lewis. Okay, Late. I'm sorry. I missed the L, and I know you're not supposed to do that, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, for those you know in our audience who have not yet read this book, can you give us the basic um, uh, idea behind it? Well, this was a friendship that had always interested me. Uh, when I took a college course on, it was it was called uh, Theology and Oxford Christian Writers. So it, it included some of the Inklings, some of their friends, some of the people who were influential in their in their lives and careers. And so Lewis and Sayers were both included in that, along with Tolkien, Williams, and Chesterton, and, and MacDonald, and some others. So I happened to learn about Dorothy L. Sayers. Um, and C.S. Lewis pretty much at the same time. I had not read much Lewis before that. And so it just was sort of taken for granted that they had this friendship and 
they, you know, they corresponded with each other. They worked together on some things. They had a friendship just like Tolkien and Lewis had a friendship and so forth. But what, once you start reading more about Lewis or about Sayers, you find that um, this friendship, there aren't a lot of people who really know a lot about it. Like, like it's sort of known that, okay, the Wade Center at Wheaton uh, curates Lewis's papers and Sayers' papers along with uh, those of five other writers. But people, a lot of people haven't really dived into this friendship and thought, okay, you know, what was this all about? What role did they play in each other's lives? I, I found while I was writing the book and telling people about it and then getting feedback on it after it was published, uh, the, the fan groups, uh, so to speak, of each author, they don't overlap all that much. I mean, there are, huh. there's a very definite set of Sayers fans. There's a set of Lewis fans and they don't, there's not always that much overlap between the two groups, but I found that Lewis fans were very interested to find out more about Sayers and vice versa. Her, her fans were often interested yeah. in, in Lewis too. So, so, um, I, I just thought it would be a fun thing to explore this friendship more. And it, it was, it was really fun to research, to write about, and people seem to be having fun reading it. That's so great. Um, I, I appreciate that you went right to um, something that was really illuminating for me in reading your book, how these two authors are, they're giants in their own time, as far as Christian public intellectuals, uh, writing at the same time about the role of faith and and defending the faith against what they perceived as attacks on it um, in modern in modernism, at, with different approaches, uh, which hopefully we'll we'll get to talk about here. Um, but who would pre present a united front together uh, in public debates, even which I had no idea until I read this book. Um, why why do they then inhabit such different spheres in our memories? Then why why are there such why is there such a separation now as we look back all these years later? They were both such multifaceted authors that it's interesting how people can know about, for instance, one genre they wrote in and not about others. Like mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of Narnia fans that have never gone on to read uh, the space trilogy or, or even the screw tape letters or whatever. And, and it's, it's much more the case with Sayers because she is so well known for her detective novels. That's how she made her yeah. name. And, and they were among some of the greatest of the great detective novels. Mm -hmm. and, and so people really, really knew her for that. And then when she sort of branched out and went in other directions, um, that I, I think at that time when she was writing, people knew her so well that a lot of them followed her to other genres. But nowadays, uh, not everybody remembers that she wrote plays, that she wrote uh, Christian apologetics, that she translated Dante, that she did all these other things. Right. Uh, uh, I, I think there's a lot, that, that's, that's one reason that people don't remember. And, and I think uh, Lewis, for a lot of Christians now has sort of settled into that role of apologist that we remember so well. And Sayers not so much. Um, for, for many reasons, part, partly because of detective novels, um, partly I think maybe, maybe just because she was a woman. And, and for, for some Christians that does matter a great deal. There are those right. who, who would rather not learn from a woman. And, and um, 
she she had some skeletons in her closet, you know, from her past that not everybody is comfortable with that. So so I think there's there's um, a number of factors there. Uh, but you know, if I've been, if I've helped anybody with this book to sort of rediscover some of her apologetics writings and so forth, I, I'm really glad about that because they are so good. Lewis himself thought they were so good. He was always pushing her for more and uh, they deserve to be remembered. Oh, that's excellent. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I love also how you open the book um, with what there's so much that unites them and that there's so many parallels in their own lives. And even you just mentioned the, the skeleton in Sayers closet, mm-hmm. um, that skeleton being that she had an illegitimate son mm-hmm. that uh, was not acknowledged until after her death. Um, very sadly um, for, for that, that sort of brokenness um, and, and Lewis having his uh, strange living situation with Mrs. Moore, mm-hmm. um, which ha- has been the subject of some um, scrutiny in, in recent years, uh, but seems to be less scary to people, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, that is an interesting, um, uh, an interesting parallel. But I, I love the, the opening with, with Oxford and all these little details that you point out in this book, like the fact that they were at Oxford at the same time, mm-hmm. um, not studying at the same time, but that Sayers was, was living at Oxford when Lewis arrived as a young man to begin his studies. Um, can you say a little more about the, the role that Oxford played for them both? Um, and can we call them both Oxford, uh, part of the Oxford Christian movement? I think I, I think in a way we we certainly can. Uh, Sarah's relationship with Oxford, the, excuse me, with Oxford is fascinating. Uh, she was born there. Uh, her her father. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was he did. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> blanking out. Um, her father, I believe, was a vicar and and choir master there or something like that. And so they lived there. Uh, for the first few years of her life. And then she ended up going back there for college at a time when very few women did, uh, being among the first women to graduate from there. Uh, Later on, when she was trying to decide what she wanted to do with her life, uh, she moved back there to work for a while at uh, Blackwell's, the publisher there. So she, it's, it's strange because she never really craved the academic life for herself. And yet, she really loved Oxford, and you can see that in *Gaudy Night*, uh, her, yeah. her what I what I think is her greatest uh, mystery novel, which I mean, it's just so full of love for Oxford. It's, it's where um, her character Harriet Vane goes back for a reunion and ends up staying to to try to solve a mystery. Uh, and Harriet, uh, I mean, her her life is in London, and she's living the writer's life, sort of the celebrity life, because she's a famous writer, but she keeps finding herself drawn back to Oxford, and she finds something there that she can't find anywhere else. And as far as Lewis goes, uh, he always felt destined for an academic career, uh, if only by virtue of the fact that he didn't feel fitted (laughs) for anything else. I mean, he was brilliant, but he couldn't work with his hands at all. There were lots of couldn't do and he he was just like even his teacher was like it has to be this and nothing else and he sort of agreed with that wholeheartedly so um 
Yeah. You know, so it's funny octopus, people, um, yeah. sorry to, to interrupt, but um, I was just, yeah, I was just saying that, it was very important to them both. Yeah. One thing that people have said about Kurt Cobain, and I'm so sorry to bring up Kurt Cobain, That's okay. but uh, is Sean Nelson of the band um, Harvey Danger uh, became a music critic and wrote once uh, on a, like a review of a movie on Kurt Cobain. Like the more you learn and read about Kurt Cobain, the more you realize the only thing he could ever be was a rock star because mm -hmm. he just, he couldn't be a janitor at a, a hotel. Like he just failed at everything um, except being a rock star. So mm -hmm. I, I like to apply that parallel to C.S. Lewis, especially the, the fact that he had trouble working with his hands mm -hmm. um, and doing sort of, general manual labor at all um the life of the mind was almost the only thing open to him yeah and and it sort of fits in too with Sayre's ideas about calling uh she had very very definite ideas in that department uh she believed uh passionately that people had callings that they mm. should do what they were called to do if it was at all possible and that 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 was one of the things that mattered most in life if not the thing and so, yeah, in, in a way, it works for both of them. Yeah. At, at the same time, I think it's really interesting, as you um, point out in the book, Gina, um, that um, within that calling, they both did and what, like, tons of different stuff, right? Um, I mean, as writers, <laughs> they were so yeah. versatile, both of them were. And I really like that that's, you know, kind of a note you pick up on throughout the book that this is. Um, you know, everything for Lewis from apologetics to science fiction to, you know, serious scholarship to um, uh, children's books, right? And then, and then Sayers from, um, you know, commercial fiction, detective fiction to plays to um, apologetics worked as well to um, um, her translation of Dante. Um, both of them Amazing. had such wide ranging intellects um, that once they found that calling, they could almost sort of go wherever they, you know, wherever they chose to uh, with, within that. Right. Right. And uh, I think that's, that's really one of the things that drew them together as friends. I mean, they were both yeah. so incredibly smart, <laughs> incredibly intelligent. Uh, they, they're, it, it must have been, I mean, it must have been amazing to just to listen in on their conversations. And they didn't get to, to meet up in person all that often. And uh, which in a way is great for us because we get to read their letters, which are so much fun. But uh, they, they like to meet up in their letters. They're always saying, I wish we met up more often. And when they did, I, I think it, it sounds like they, they had a lot of fun. And, and uh, that sort of intellectual dialogue and conversation was so stimulating uh, to both of them. Uh, and Sayers, I think they both too had a very uh, sort of boisterous personality. I mean, <laughs> Sayers could, could bowl people over. One, one of uh, the anecdotes I, I found that was funny was Barbara Reynolds, uh, her, her very close friend saying that, you know, she loved Sayers, but every time Sayers visited, Reynolds would have to go to bed for a couple days afterward because she was worn out. But that's that's what Lewis liked because he was mm -hmm. kind of that way himself. And I mean, just the sheer energy of bouncing off the walls when they got together, it must have been incredible. It must have been like exhausting, but incredible. 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you go ahead. Well, it's, uh, I wonder too, how much of it they, um, using Lewis's formulation of, of friendship and um, hinting on what, what one brings out of the other and how, how much they must have played off of each other and delighted in sort of like um, an upward spiral, right, of uh, increasing uh, ebullience and exuberance yes. in each other's company. Um, that would really have been something yes. one day. Uh, we'll experience it, but yeah, I would, I would love to see them both in a room with Chesterton, um, you know, maybe, maybe in heaven, um, they'll, yeah. they'll get the chance, uh, but yeah. yeah. Well, he was such an influence on both of them. And, um, it eventually, I, I mean, when they were young adults, they both got to reading him and, and both were just, uh, they just loved his work. And eventually Sayers got to be in the detection club with him, which was, I mean, talk about wanting to be a fly on the wall that, that like all, most if not all of the great detective writers of, of the golden age were in that club, Chesterton and Sayers and Agatha Christie and uh, Marjorie Allingham and many more. And I think Chesterton was the first president and Sayers the second or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, yeah, that must have been something. And and Sarah's, uh, after Chesterton died, uh, Sarah's wrote to his widow about just what a, a great influence he had been on her and, and how his his thought sort of permeated her thought and, and how much he meant to her. And, and he was a great influence on Lewis too. So that was another thing that they had in common. Yeah. Um, it, it is, it's so wonderful to, to imagine them um, the few times they did dine together. Uh, and it's interesting too, and you bring this out in the book, how um, Lewis did not follow the Billy Graham slash Mike Pence rule, right? Mm -hmm. Like he, he was comfortable dining alone with a woman and granted uh, Sayers was older um, and both at the time um, she was married, uh, I think when the friendship began, right? And so, um, probably you point out a, a safe female friend for Lewis, but it's interesting how you trace the, the evolution of his views of, of friendship with women and women uh, along with his friendship, mostly through letters uh, with Sayers. Um, and I wonder how that interaction on the page, mind to mind, um, might have influenced him and been maybe even easier for him to, to go through that whole process than had it been face-to-face. -face. Yes, I, I think uh, that made a great difference. Uh, he, he uh, from, from the beginning of their correspondence almost, he, he loved her letters. I mean, they, they, he, he told her, you know, I get all kinds of letters from all kinds of people. Yeah. They tend to bore me, but yours, there's something about yours. You know, he, he, he kept her letters when he kept very few people's letters because they just delighted him. And she was a wonderful writer letter, excuse me, wonderful letter writer. <laughs> and um, she, she was a wonderful letter writer. And so I think, yes, I, I think perhaps she was able to um, sort of enter into his life that way, uh, where she may not have been so able to in person. I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting 
it, Lewis, and I, I talk about this a little bit in the book, it, relationships with women were not always easy for him. He had grown up in a very male-oriented yeah. world. He had lived in one for a long time. And, uh, but then he, had, he ended up having this knack for almost, almost against his own instincts and personality, whatever, for making friends with brilliant women. <laughs> uh, Sayers <laughs> was one, uh, Ruth Pitter, uh, Sister mm. Penelope, an Anglican nun who, who, whom he uh, struck up a, a friendship with. And a lot of that, again, was correspondence based. Right. But he, I mean, he some, some of his ideas about women, um, we would say we would see today as like a little bit backwards you know he he wasn't always um you know he he didn't have a huge problem with the inklings being all men or oxford being male dominated or you know he's like okay i'm here i'm comfortable this is the world that i'm used to i'm fine with that but <laughs> but when it came to like be, becoming friends with brilliant women, working with them, having them as colleagues, having them as students sometimes, uh, you know, he could deal with that. He could handle that. And he, he found that he liked it eventually uh, because it was, it was just, again, these were friendships that brought something new out of him and that helped him grow and that he really enjoyed. Hmm. I love that. Um, you, Another sort of uniting thing with, uh, with Lewis and Sayers, you mentioned their mutual resistance of the personal heresy of, of reading an author's biography into his or her own work. Um, and people did it to them often and it bothered them. You bring out uh, at one point, uh, someone wrote to Sayers and, and asked, was could you tell me which was the book where Lord Peter Whimsey got you off for murder <laughs> as if she actually were Harriet Vane. Yes. Um, which is just so delightful, like picturing Lord Peter uh, getting her out of, <laughs> out of a murder rap. Um, but something uh, that occurred to me in your discussion, um, you, you, devote some really good time to each author's trauma in regards to relationships. Um, Lewis's early loss of his mother uh, and Sayers's disastrous affair with the, the Russian writer, John Kornos. Uh, and each, each managed to do some interesting work fictionalizing these experiences as part of their already realized worlds. Um, Lewis, in the story of Diggory and his mother and the magician's nephew and Sayers in Strong Poison. While she's not Harriet Vane, uh, a lot of the actual dialogue and the central sort of crisis in that relationship was drawn from her own relationship with John Cornos. Uh, and both have an encounter where they're, they're seen by their protagonists in the story and understood. Um, Aslan sees Diggory's sorrow for his dying mother and comforts him by showing him his own sadness. That moment in The Magician's Nephew where um, Diggory looks up after telling Aslan about his mother and sees that Aslan is sorrier for her than, than he is. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and ultimately by, by healing her. Uh, and Lord Peter Whimsey sees mystery novelist Harriet Vane on trial, defending her principles, and instantly he gets it. 
and <laughs> admires her integrity and says, this is a woman of truth and, and loves her <laughs> yes. for it, right? Yeah. Which is so endearing and so crazy. Yeah. Um, and I, I just get the sense that there, there's something about both of them. It's not autobiographical, right? But it seems like they're both working out their trauma uh, in ways that bring a sense of healing and, and of themselves being seen in that trauma. Mm -hmm. And they both achieve these moments with, with poignancy. And I think with a way of avoiding self-indulgence, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not, um, this is not about them getting therapy by writing <laughs> or journaling through it. This is actual art. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think accounts for that? And can we talk about it for a minute? Like, I know it's not necessarily something in your book, but it's mm -hmm. just something that has fascinated me about both of them. That's really beautifully put. <laughs> um, I, I think there's something in Gaudy Night that speaks um, almost, <clears throat> excuse me, almost directly to that, um, where I, I think it's in, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in Gaudy Night, where uh, Lord Peter is talking to Harriet about her writing, and you probably know the part I mean where she says, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble with this new book and they talk about it. And he says, why don't you do this, this, and this? And, and she's like, well, that would like take things in a whole different direction. It would go deeper. And he's like, we'll do it. He, he says, you know, and, and one of the great things about the Peter Harriet relationship is how invested he is in her work and how he mm -hmm. pushes her to, um, to make it better and even even as she's resisting him romantically sometimes she she uh likes that in him and she appreciates it um and so she she says you know it would hurt to do that and he said well it would make a good book <laughs> and and, and <laughs> so so part part of i mean part of what he's saying is write it out and get rid of it which mm -hmm. um you know put let yourself go uh, like I, I, that's not a good expression, but um, let yourself put what you've learned, what you've experienced, what you've suffered, put all of that into your writing. It'll make the writing better and it will be a healing experience for you too in the end, even if it hurts. Um, and so I, I think that's just, that really sort of sums it up so well. It, it just, mm. because again, you're not just like, spilling your guts out on the page right you are if you're a serious um artist or you're trying to be you're trying to make something that's really good um then you t you bring all of yourself to it you bring everything you've learned everything you know everything you are because that's what you have to bring <laughs> that's what your particular set of experiences mm -hmm. and beliefs and values have made you so you bring all of that to it um, you inform it with everything you know, and then um, if if you have if, if you have the, the the writer's gift to begin with, then that will make your work really good, really something that that is true and that mm. that is worthwhile as a work of art. So uh, yeah, she I think I think she really 
really got what you're talking about. Yeah. I knew you'd be the right person to ask this. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it, it really seems like she had um from you know, just, um, you know, partly judging, um, from, from what you're saying in the book, it really, it really seems that she had a kind of, um, and this is almost paradoxical because she, um, you know, she got her start and she made her living by the pen, right. By, by writing, right. And by writing popular fiction, but she has this view of writing that in some ways seems, a lot more serious than mm -hmm. Lewis's own anyway, that that's, you know, what it sounds like part of their disagreement was about um, at, at, at a certain point, right. Was, was him saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, toss off some pieces of writing that, you know, helps do this or that. And she's like, no, 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 you can't approach writing that way. Mm -hmm. um, which is so fascinating because of course, like people then as now kind of, you know, look at detective fiction and, and they're like, oh, it's genre fiction, right? Um, um, and uh, um, the fact that she had this idea of writing as this deep calling that does require everything from you mm -hmm. um, is, uh, is, is, kind of, is kind of wonderful and, and kind of also um, pushes against that sort of tendency to downplay the importance of like, you know, a, a type of writing because it's, you know, um, a uh yeah uh because it's like lesser or, or, or whatever mm, yeah. else uh, but uh, i wonder if that also accounts for how good her letters are and <laughs> and even how good she was as, as an ad writer like mm -hmm. she she was excellent with mm -hmm. things where you wouldn't think it mattered to be excellent um yeah, yeah it's interesting um she she, uh, in her book, Murder Must Advertise, she sort of covers her time as, as an advertising copywriter. And um, okay. in a way, she's sort of questioning the ethics of the whole profession. But in another way, she sort of delights in the game of playing with words, of having fun with words, of doing so, even silly things with words. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think she really, I mean, I think she always brought her A game to every piece of writing that she did because she was incapable of not doing it. She, yeah. and she, she wasn't pretentious about it, but she was very serious about it. And uh, so as, as we were saying a minute ago, she would tend to try to rein Lewis in a little bit if she thought he was getting out of his lane. You know, she thought, mm. she thought you should write what you feel called to write and that's when you'll do your best work and the thing that you were given the gift to do and Lewis, um, it was his instinct to sort of, you might almost say he put the apologetics first while she put the writing first. And um, for a Christian to put the writing first is counterintuitive, but she would argue, or it seems counterintuitive, but she would argue that if you don't, you end up with sloppy and bad work that brings shame to the name of Christ instead of honor. And so she, she was, she was very serious about that. And Lewis, see, the thing with Lewis is he, he, and the, the thing that irritated her was that he would, if somebody wanted, 
wanted a Christian to say something on some subject, whatever it was, he would feel like, well, yes, I should do that, even if it wasn't his particular subject. And that would drive her crazy because she's like, no, <laughs> you're, you're not <laughs> supposed to do that. You're supposed to write the things you feel called to write. And, and he would, uh, you know, he, they would bicker about it. Um, but he, he listened, I think, because he, she, she said once, you know, I think you, you really agree with me at bottom. You're just sort of afraid to go there. And, and I, I think she might've been right because he, he sort of, he, he sort of seems to have um, gotten a little closer to her, to her view on it later on. But the, the thing with him is that he was brilliant, as we've said, and a lot of times he could get away with, <laughs> with saying things about almost any subject. I mean, he could, he could uh, bend that brilliant mind to it and he could, he could generally do it. Um, but at the same time, he, he sort of, he got what she was saying about um, you know, you, you can't write things just to send a message. You have to write things because they're the things that you are called to write, that you want to write, that you're gifted to write. And because later on, when he wrote an essay about how he came to write the Narnia books, he said, well, I wasn't trying to send a message. You know, I thought of the lion, I thought of the lamppost, and it all came together. And just all of, all of my own concerns and values then sort of went into that, which is a very, very Sayers oriented sort of view to take. So I think she did have an influence on him there. I think she did help him maybe see a little bit. Um, you have to, you have to follow where your calling leads. If, if you believe that it's God calling you to, to, uh, to do these things. So um, yeah, that they, they, I mean, they, they had their arguments, but in a, in a friendly spirit. And I think they were very influential on each other. Hmm. We've we've talked some about how Sayers influenced Lewis. Uh, can we talk about how Lewis influenced Sayers? Do you think he got her to push her more in an apologetics direction than she might have done otherwise? Possibly. I do think so. Uh, again, she sometimes felt uneasy in the role. She what she didn't think it was her main calling again. So, so um, she, she uh, complained to him sometimes. And it's funny to watch her vent in her letters to him because they were both apologists. Uh, so they both understood what's, what the other was dealing with. And they had that, mm -hmm. that, that was a connection between them, a bond that, that they shared. And so she would complain to him sometimes, you know, I, this is not my, calling this is not my main role in life but there's this intellectual chaos all around me and god is you know, god knows that i can't stand it and it's not fair and he's fighting dirty <laughs> so so she could be pretty funny about it but it, it wasn't her favorite thing to do but but she did think that um society and especially a post-war society uh i mean trying to build from scratch again, almost after, after the devastation, uh, sorry, the devastation of World War II. Um, she did think that it needed a Christian uh, set of values uh, to sort of build on. And she thought that 
in order to do that, people had to understand what Christianity was. I mean, she was just sort of flabbergasted sometimes when she looked around and saw how many misconceptions there were about Christianity and how even a lot of Christians didn't always understand their own belief system. I mean, that just drove her crazy. So, so that really um, inspired her to, to do that work. But I absolutely think Lewis's influence helped keep her on that road. Uh, he kept telling her, you know, even when she fought back, he kept telling her, you're very good at this. Uh, you, sh you should maybe do this and that, you know, you should, you should think about, you know, doing more of this and you, you're doing great, you know, keep at it. And, and um, he got used to her pushing back. He was like, yeah, I know, I know I, you hate this, but listen to me anyway, you're really good at this. So, so I think it, it uh, was good. It was really good for her that she had a friend like that in her life. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about this book is it sort of shows um, where Lewis went for support when the Inklings sort of, you know, foundered, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, you know, you have that great quote from Owen Barfield that opposition is true friendship and, you know, the Inklings famously did not spare you know, spare each other criticism of their work. And, and one of the things that, that you kind of, uh, and, 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 um, and, and other scholars as well point out is um, over time that actually very possibly led to the Inklings just sort of fracturing. Um, um, what was it that was different about um, uh, uh, Lewis's relationship with Sayers that allowed that, friendship to endure and to grow stronger despite the fact that you know they occasionally also disagreed on things yeah it's a really interesting contrast it was something i hadn't thought about much before i started researching the book um but yeah the the inklings i mean was such a wonderful group and such great work came out of it but um as, as much as that that ongoing sort of criticism and critique stimulated everybody after a while it it did start to grate a little bit <laughs> um you, you had all these very bright men sort of pushing back against each other all the time and all the time and all the time and like poor Tolkien getting his feelings hurt when when uh his his hobbits got criticized and and Lewis trying to stand up for him but then Tolkien didn't like Narnia and Lewis got hurt and <laughs> you know it, it, it was it had to be hard and Sayers, uh, she did bicker with Lewis sometimes. She did, she did have her critiques of him. And yet there was sort of a mutual respect going on in that friendship. And they just, they both liked so many of each other's works so much. And as I said earlier, they also had that bond of being apologists. Lewis didn't really have that with the Inklings. They were mm creative writers, academics, philosophers, but he was the one who was sort of doing the thing that's not done. He was the one going out yeah. there, popularizing theology, writing, writing these works for the masses, um, doing writing apologetics. And a lot of his male friends either sort of, at best that they were just sort of like oh okay well whatever and and at, at worst they were like why would you do that so um but he had Sarah's understood she she was doing it too you know even if she was sometimes doing it under protest she sort of got what was 
concerning him, what was animating him, driving him to do these things. And he could talk to her about it. She could talk to him about it. And I think that, it, it, and they just respected uh, each other's works. Mm. Uh, he wasn't really into detective fiction and so forth. And, you know, she wasn't the biggest fan of mere Christianity, but they also found so much to like in each other's work. And so they ended up sort of blending criticism and praise. And I think the praise meant more and more to, to both of them as they got older. And Lewis just found out by accident that Sayers was an Arnia fan. And I mean, as I said in the book, that had to feel good after what he'd gone mm. through with Tolkien and, and some of the others, uh, just, just to know, oh, she likes them. And, and so um, they ended up having some good chats about Narnia. And yeah, I think, I think um, it, it had to be hard for the Inklings to sort of break up like that and, and for the reason that it did, because all that criticism just in the end just was a little bit much for everybody. But that had to be sort of a healing experience for him to sort to have this friendship with Sayers whom he could go to and uh, get some encouragement and some praise once in a while. Mm. Yeah, I love too how you also show that it wasn't just Lewis needing encouragement from her, but she needed advice from Lewis as well mm -hmm. um, and turned to him with like, what shocked me was really mundane and also very humble and revealing. Like, how do I, this person, this atheist is writing to me mm -hmm. and bugging me and I don't want to respond to him and how do you deal with these people? How do I deal, <laughs> right? How do I, how do I do this and not fall into these traps of pride or of scorn or mm -hmm. just all the, all the different pitfalls that were very unique to this lonely calling um, for each of them in 1950s Britain defending Christianity. Mm -hmm. And she she was like, I'm going to recommend his your books to him. I'm going to, I hope to pass him on to you. You know, she, <laughs> she was only too eager to, to, to haul Lewis on board with that. Um, I, I think she, she saw in him um, that really sincere desire to, to help these people. And although she, she was motivated to do the work more on an intellectual level, I think in the end, she couldn't help but uh, respect Lewis's motivations and, and why he was doing what he was doing. And then too, um, when she started to translate the Divine Comedy, he was, he was a support and a help. Um, you know, he had, um, they had some differences of opinion that they were able to talk about, about, okay, how, what tone should she be taking? How, how should she be doing this? But but uh, he was more and more drawn in as, as she kept going and, and he came to more and more appreciate what she was doing. And um, I, I think, I'm trying to remember, I, I think it was when the second volume came out, she didn't live to complete the third volume, but I think it was when the Purgatorio came out that he, he sent her a letter and she said, I think your, yours is the very nicest letter I've had about it. And that's so mm -hmm. sweet. <laughs> and uh, because, he, he just, she, she was like, you know, you, you get it. You, you get what I'm trying to do. You appreciate it. Uh, and you can talk to me about it in just the way that I like to talk about it. So um, that, that did mean a lot to her. Yeah. It's so interesting that Lewis 
has this role of encouraging his friends to do their work. Like mm-hmm. Tolkien, you, you point out that Tolkien talked about how um, Lewis's influence was in primarily just encouraging him to keep mm-hmm. going with The Hobbit and with Lord of the Rings. Um, and, you know, were it not for that, that spirit in him that wanted to see his friends do these great works and and push them uh through through ribbing and and constant sort of nagging but also just his (laughs) own delight in in their work um uh, it speaks to such a a huge generosity of spirit which i think um i think sayers also shared with him and i i love how you bring that out yes yes he really did have that uh and um you know, it, it would be, <laughs> it would be great for someone to, to write a whole book just about Lewis as an encourager. I mean, th- there have been so many books about Lewis, of course, mine is just um, one of many. And um, I, I uh, don't know if I have another book in me right now, just because <laughs> it, it, it's a process that wears you out. And then you have to sort of like, pull yourself back together afterward. But um Maybe someday, if somebody hasn't already, who knows, but yeah. some, somebody should write a book just about Lewis as encourager, because that was a huge, huge role in his life. As you say, uh, we have so many great works just because he encouraged people to write them. And it, exactly as you're saying, it, it does speak to a, lo- a generosity about him. And also, I think, a humility. And this is something that Sarah's... Um, sensed in him too, a humility where like he didn't always have to be promoting himself. He liked to promote other people too. And um, he, he just, he had some very rare qualities that I think are part of the reason why we're still so drawn to him all these years later. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I really like that you, um, you know, revisit the idea of influence. Um, you know, and you, and you quote also from um, the company they keep, I, I think, where, where um, um, uh, Diana Glyer, I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah um, um, says, you know, influence needs to be sort of redefined to sort of encompass encouragement. Um, and I wonder, yeah, I, I just wonder if we're if by influence we now mean something slightly different from what mm. like if, if they're thinking of it in like in in these like almost sort of romanticist sort of like oh you you must be an original poetic genius <laughs> if you're go if you're going to be a great writer right um and, and be influenced like there's that whole idea of the anxiety of influence you know mm-hmm. um and and i wonder um you know the more we kind of revisit this and revisit them um if uh you know if if we might just now be meaning something quite different from what they meant by by influence and i wonder where those lines are exactly uh, yeah yeah you you bring up glyer's book and and that's that's uh, excellent because it's a terrific book and she does talk about that um lewis when asked later in life lewis would say you know i'm not sure I influenced anybody at all. And Tolkien would say um, it, it was more encouragement than influence. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they, uh, they thought that encouragement was very important. And, and I think that was the chief form of um, 
influence that any of them exerted on each other, just encouragement, just pushing to do, you know, do the thing that you do best. And that's, <laughs> that, that can be a really vital force uh, in somebody's life and somebody's writing. Yeah, well, I, you brought so much together in this book and I, coming from someone who's read a lot about Lewis and Sayers, I'd never had the story stitched together so clearly. Um, and you have all these great details like that, that part about Oxford, but you also have um, the beautiful detail that knowing that the hill where Harriet Vane sits in Gaudi Night, uh, when she writes her poem about uh, Oxford and the world turning, um, had, would have had a view of the kilns of C.S. <laughs> Lewis's home. I, I know it's a fictional setting, but it's in Sayer's mind. And that's just such a, a funny, sweet thing to know. How, how did you research and discover all these little points of connection and contact um, and, and weave together this story? It's yeah. just a wonder. Yeah, well, that, that was, uh, I like that story too. It's the oddest thing because she wrote Gaudy Night before they were friends, but I wonder that if she like later went back and it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it's just such a, it's, it's almost like a little divine, you know, a little bit of providence or something, yeah. <laughs> a little signal. So um, yeah, but the, oh gosh, the research was tremendously interesting and it was a lot of work, but uh, I mean, I was literally sitting on the couch with their volumes of letters all around me and a bunch of sticky notes, you know? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, marking and, and those little tab things, you know, marking every page where there was a letter from one to the other. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was the first part. And then just going back and reading through all those letters to each other and sort of building up a picture. Okay, how did this friendship get started? And what was the arc of it? And what were the themes? And like, just what were some of the little logistical, practical things? Like, when did they have a chance to see each other in person you know they write about that and, and um how does their friendship sort of shift from professional to personal and when did when do they start calling each other by first names and and just all these things and, and it's one of those sort of like old-fashioned british friendships where it takes them forever to call each other by first yeah. name. <laughs> but just all that fun stuff and then i got to go to the wade center um and look through some of the correspondence that hadn't been published, but is sitting there mm -hmm. in the files. And that was fun. I, I, I um, it, it's not like there's a ton of it, but what's there just adds to the picture we have. And it was just so cool to be able to discover that. And the Wade Center uh, was so great and supportive and, you know, gave me a research grant to help uh, with, with the research and writing. And so, the story, I mean, it just sort of all came together as a story in my mind and, you know, how to organize it both uh, chronologically and thematically at the same time to watch their friendship sort of pass through different stages as they got older and got to know each mm -hmm. other better. And it's just like, um, it, it all, it all just, it all, it all just came together so well i mean i I've, i i hate the expression it wrote itself because that is never true <laughs> <laughs> uh, um 
it, it, uh, I used to have a boss that say, oh, this will write itself. And we all hated that. We would roll our eyes because no, it won't. <laughs> but um, in a way, uh, it, it almost sort of structured itself because just, just uh, you could just sort of go through the years and watch all the different things their friendship brought out in them and how they influenced each other and how they got closer. And so, um, I mean, it was just a great structure to build the story around. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there are enough letters would would there be enough letters to make like a small book of the collected letters back and forth between Lewis and Sayers or or do we not have enough it, it um it would I, I I'm trying to think about the length um there were a lot of letters but they're not always really long letters so i'm not sure exactly what length it would be i think it would probably be a length for for a respectable book i I think you could definitely make a book of some sort out of it um and i would love to see that happen um there are of course uh fees to be paid for the rights to them um and that's that's how i ended up spending my research grant because Mm -hmm. um I, i had to do that to quote them uh so yeah i mean it could be done I would love to see it done. Maybe, maybe someday, but until it is, um, we're, we're blessed to have the collected volumes of, of their letters. And uh, I do recommend them. I mean, they are that, uh, I think there's like three volumes for him and Mm -hmm. something like four for her. And some of hers, I think have gone out of print, which is a crying shame and somebody ought to do something about that but because it's just not right her letters are so great the world needs to know them but you can usually find them with very little trouble uh through amazon vendors or through um through used bookstores online the usual ways and uh yeah so we have those and that's great <laughs> and and uh, until we have the the volume of all their letters just to each other uh it, it's good to read just the collected volumes of, mm-hmm. of letters from both of them um because I, I i mean i've been saying she was a terrific letter writer and she was but lewis was too <laughs> he he sort of sold himself short there but he really was very good at it and um it, it's a delight to read his letters too yeah. Have you found yourself writing letters more? Were you a letter writer ever before this? Um, do you think letter writing, I mean, obviously this was, you know, 1950s mainly, um, it was like 15 years. So late forties to the 40s, yeah. 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's obviously different uh, now we, we mainly email each other, but do you, do you find yourself writing letters? Well, I did, I did quite a lot of letter writing as a child because, uh, we moved a lot. My dad was in the army and I was always writing to friends I had left in the previous places that I lived. I think my record was 11 pages. Um, wow. (laughs) But um, it it has pretty much gone out of fashion and I've sort of fallen victim to the email and texting um, addiction with everybody else. And and I do think it's sad. I mean, the convenience is great, but I do think it's sad that we've sort of let that go by the wayside. Uh, I, um, so I do, I write the occasional letter um, 
mostly to my godchildren, holidays, birthdays and stuff like that. You know, they write to me, I write to them and um, they're not nice long letters, <laughs> but you know, they're still letters there. And um, you know, I, I, I wish, I, I would like to take the time to do more of that. <laughs> Maybe someday I will. The, the only inkling with whom both Sayers and Lewis shared a relationship, uh, a friendship was Charles Williams, mm -hmm. uh, whom, whom they both adored. And he, he seemed to have a similar, while well, we're talking about influence, um, a similar pull for, for both of them. He was very charismatic and they were really drawn to him. Uh, but your book also explores some of the things they they missed about their friend. Um, some of the more disturbing things we have learned that um, maybe they didn't, well, yeah, that they didn't know. Um, but you could ask if they, if they should have known. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, something I wonder as we're talking about friendship and influence, um, it's lovely to see these stories of like Lewis and Sayers and how they brought out the best in each other. Um, but it's also, it can be very scary to see stories of very close friends, um, people who admired each other, but who, who don't see the darkness um, and the, the faults uh, and the even evil that another friend is engaged in. Um, when, you you encounter this in the book, which I I was really impressed by that you actually face it somewhat. Um, and I wonder how how do you think um, such friends who who can be so encouraging and see um, like artistically and intellectually the, the the best in in each other and in others, um, how it can also be so blind to the darkness. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Williams is such an intriguing figure because he seems to have had enormous amounts of charisma. I mean, he would just yeah. walk into a room and bowl people over without doing anything. It, it's 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 fascinating. And um, both Lewis and Sayers felt that effect and they admired him so much. They 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 loved him. I mean, they they considered him very holy. A lot of his a lot of the people that knew him did. Um, which is really kind of scary because as you say, he was involved in some, some things he shouldn't have been, some occultic activities, emotional affairs, emotional abuse. And he seems to have been able to pull the wool over people's eyes very, very effectively. Um, Lord knows how he'd have done today with, with, uh, with Twitter and you know people, people, uh, people. I think a little bit more aware now than they used to be of what goes yeah. on and behind closed doors. Uh, I don't know how long he would have made it, but um, yeah. I mean, of course, Lewis and Sayers were just flawed human beings like everybody else. Uh, they could be blind to other people's faults. They they seem to have been blind to William's faults, and. Um, and very reluctant to believe even the little bit of bad that they did hear about him. You know, mm -hmm. Sarah's, you see Sarah sort of trying to engage with it later on after his death, but not really getting there. You know, she, she's like, okay, maybe he wasn't always, maybe there was 
some issues there, but, but I hate to think badly of Charles, you know, who was so nice to me, who helped me so much, who taught me so much. And so she yeah. couldn't quite make herself get there. Again, I think, you know, we live in a different day and age. We, we've had like tons of revelations come out about tons of people. It hasn't always been pleasant. I think, I think it's been necessary uh, for, for just this reason, because mm. a, lot of, a lot of people who are into bad stuff are very, very good at hiding it. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, Williams exerted tremendous influence, going back to that question of influence over the people in his orbit. Um, you can see it, it, you can really see it in uh, Lewis's um, space trilogy. Uh, and, um, you know, he, before Sarah's translated Dante, they, they kicked ideas back and forth. So he was sort of influencing her too. And I mean, I'm not saying his influence was all bad because he was doing his best to wear the, the mantle of, you know, prophetic Christian mystic kind of guy. Um, and so, you know, he probably did have some, some good stuff to share when he was trying to do that, but <laughs> he, he, um, he also, uh, some of his ideas were not coming from a good place. And so, um, yeah, friendship has its dark side. And, and often, you know, when we're close to someone, we're the very last person to find out, um, you know, what's really going on with mm -hmm. them. So I thought it was important that I tell that story. And I, I'm, I appreciate that um, you, um, you were taken with that part because um, in, in some of the online reviews, I've had a little bit of pushback, like, well, she sort of detours into this stuff about Williams that, you know, I don't know why she had to do that. And, and <laughs> it, I, I think some people thought it was kind of tangential to the main story I was mm. trying to tell, but I thought it was very important because, you know, we're talking about all the good things about friendship, just yeah. as with everything else that we fallen humans do. We also have to talk about the bad side of it. And William sort of brings that out and, and, and it just brings all kinds of issues to the surface. You know, um, it was an opportunity to sort of talk about gender and the differences between the way Williams treated women and the way Lewis treated women. Um, and uh, just about, about even with our Christian friends, there, there can be things that we don't know about that are going on. So just, it, it was, I thought it was important to bring him into the story and, and to um, sort of examine exactly what was going on there. And, um, you know, I mean, talk about going dark, but it's, it, I mean, the fact that Williams died when he did is so interesting to me. And because, I mean, who knows what his influence would have been on them if, if he had not died. I, I feel like mm. a fool even saying these things, but hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not like anybody killed him off or anything. He, he just happened to fall ill very suddenly and die. But, you know, it, I don't know what would have happened. Um, I don't know if he would have led them in bad directions. I don't know. You know, none of us can know. It, it's, it's interesting to think about. But mm -hmm. um, as it turned out, I, I think, I think, this is my speculation. I think in the end, he could not have led them too far astray because Williams was the kind of guy who liked people sitting at his feet being his disciples. Like, 
literally sometimes. Right. And I think in the end, Sayers and Lewis both had too much faith, too much sense, <laughs> too much maturity to do something like that. So I don't think it would have gone to like a really terrible place, but um, it might've, you know, it, it might've really ended up hampering them. It, it's possible. So we're yeah. all sinful humans. And so we all have to be really careful about the influences we let in. Yeah, well, I so appreciate you drawing that out uh, in the book. And I, I do think it's important, especially, you know, we're a, a podcast that focuses on the inklings, generally. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to talk about Lewis and Sayers and, and to not talk about the only inkling they had in common would have been strange for us. Um, yes. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. Well, thanks. Yeah. I, I wonder, um, and, and uh, we, we never like put a stopping place for when, when we should, <laughs> when we should allow Gina to go. Uh, Sorry. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to end on the, on the dark note of Williams uh, <laughs> either. Uh, so uh, um, I, I wonder though, uh, you, you, you also talk a lot about um, Dorothy and Jack and, and Joy. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, uh, you know, I, I wonder, you know, we, we talk about how um, uh, Dorothy's um, um, love of the Narnia series is one of the things that sort of caused them to, you know, grow a little bit closer as friends, um, uh, you know, towards the end, especially after the Inklings were no longer as much of a thing. Um, I wonder also to what extent, um, and, and, and it could be to no extent, I have no idea, um, but, but I just wonder to what extent um, um, her common friendship with both Lewis and Joy um, and, and, you know, the fact that they both, both Lewis and Joy cried, you know, when, um, when, when they lost uh, uh, Sayers. Um, I wonder, you know, to, to what extent um, that also helped deepen Lewis's friendship with, with, with Sayers, having, you know, um, Sayers also be close friends with, um, uh, you know, Joy Gresham. Yeah, um, Sayers was uh, very supportive uh, when, when uh, Lewis said that he had married Joy and, um, I think that meant a lot to him because not all of his friends had been. I think it, as is commonly known, a lot of his friends were sort of taken aback by his relationship with this very unusual sort of woman who had sort of erupted into, into Lewis's life. Uh, but Sayers and Joy met, uh, Lewis and Sayers were doing a debate together. They were on one side, they were debating an atheist on the other side and um, Joy attended. This, is, this was when she had already started becoming friends with Lewis. So Sayers and Joy met there, uh, they hit it off. Uh, Joy happened to be a fan of detective novels. <laughs> so um, she, she really was thrilled to be able to talk to Dorothy L. Sayers about her detective novels and, and um, you know, get some more of her point of view and perspective about them. And uh, yeah, I, I think, um, again, in this area, I think Sayers' attitude was sort of a balm to Lewis. Mm. Um, she was, you know, 
I don't know when she first uh, caught on to the fact that there was something going on there more than friendship. Uh, I think I sort of speculate on that a little bit in the book, but when he, when he met, he told her that they had been married, he told her about Joy's illness and everything. Uh, she was very supportive, um, very sympathetic. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, and their letters can be funny sometimes to, to our eyes because they are so, I mean, they like often chat about like everything intellectual before finally getting down to personal matters. So it's funny to, to see, I mean, it, it looks to us like, like priorities are like all scattered all over the place, but it, it isn't really that way. It's just, that's the way they thought and the way they talked. But so she, she would write him a letter like full of all sorts of uh, literary and intellectual matters. And then she would say, you know, I'm very sympathetic to what you're going through. You know, I'm sorry to hear about this. I'm happy to hear about that. Uh, she wrote them a sonnet for a wedding present, um, which was Love a very that. intellectual sonnet. It wasn't romantic at all. So, you know, um, that, that was just uh, par for the course. But, um, you know, again, she was that friend who was there when he needed a friend to be there. She was, she was the one who understood, was sympathetic and supportive and kind and um that that meant a great deal to him yeah um yeah i wonder um um you know you talk about how the letters would begin just with talk about dante or you know <laughs> other other you know intellectual talk which like to me sounds awesome like it yeah. doesn't sound doesn't sound weird at all um but but you um you offer up you know um uh sayers and lewis is kind of a model for male female friendships uh, especially in the in the context of christianity um do you think that their friendship being so intellectual makes it more of something that's available to people who like to talk about ideas than, than otherwise? Or, or would there be something else like, I don't just like Christian faith or something like that, that yeah. could stand in if the people are not intellectuals? Yeah, I think you've touched on something important. I think um, common interests is a very big factor. Um, I mean, intellectual interests are, I mean, to, to them, that was like, that was a, a big deal, a, a, a major bond that they shared, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be that. I mean, common interests, Lewis would say, and he, he really gets into this in, in his writings on friendship, uh, the four loves and so forth. Um, Lewis would say that common interests are everything <laughs> he said yeah. you have to have them for a friendship they're essential uh and they keep on being very important as as the friendship goes on um i i think it, it took it took so long for their friendship to really start getting into personal things you know my wife is sick my brother is an alcoholic but uh, my husband was an alcoholic, all, all these things that they finally ended up sharing. It took so yeah. long for them to get there, but, and yet they still had a robust and healthy friendship for so long before that, because they had their common interests and that just mattered so much to them. Um, and I don't, 
I, I, I don't think Lewis always realized at first that friendships are probably always going to turn personal in the end. I mean, you're eventually you're going to start talking about your alcoholic brother, your sick wife, whoever, <laughs> because you know, that, that wasn't his vision of friendship. So sometimes he could have like some blind spots about things. And that was one of them. I, I think he sort of like saw himself going through life with like all these friends who were like purely academic, intellectual, you know, colleagues. <laughs> um, and, and he liked it that way, but um and those things are really, really important, uh, but uh, you have to you have to sort of get into the personal aspect sooner or later. But 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 when you do, you've got this foundation um, because because the common interests they do they do help uh, build that up. They do help establish something that you can then uh, build a closer relationship on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Lewis's panegyric, um, uh, mm. regarding, uh, um, Sayers that, that was, you know, that was read at her, her funeral, I thought was just beautiful. And I, I don't know if this is a question at all. I just wanted to say, like, I really love that you brought that up and you did like a little close reading, you know, of, of, of parts of it, um, uh, because it was just lovely. And I hadn't, I wasn't aware that he like spoke yeah. at her funeral, um, um, but it was, uh, it was lovely. Um, um, and, and also just uh, touching the detail that the first time Douglas, Douglas Gresham ever saw, you know, him cry was when he heard of, you know, uh, Sayers passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really cements this point that you're making throughout that they really had a close friendship and, uh, and, and real, you know, um, uh, solidarity and community uh, with with each other um, yeah I, I I love the panegyric um, it's it's just it's so them you know it's so both of them it, it's so yeah. reflective of the tone and nature and character of their friendship you know he did not he 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 um, you know he was apparently he was too sick to go to her funeral but he he sent this paper to be read and like probably everybody else in the world would write something very, um, very formal, very, um, you know, just full of praise and full of, you know, all, all this saying all these, you know, lofty things. And um, he just, it, it's almost like he's talking directly to her and sharing like all the things he loved about her and all the things that, uh, drove him crazy about her and just all the things you know it, it's just uh, he, he's like um you know these are the things that mattered to her you know sometimes she went too far in, in this direction but then she had this that was just so wonderful about her and uh she as a writer i mean she was a great craftsman and a, a great she, she, I mean, he, he like ranked her with some of the greatest writers who ever lived, but he, he said in her own way, you know, I mean, he, he, he's not saying that she was Shakespeare, but he was saying she was driven by the same things that drove Shakespeare, which I, I mean, his compliments were the kind of compliments that she really would have appreciated. And, and his, mm. his critiques, you know, she might've like wanted to rise out of the grave and argue back. <laughs> But I mean, it was just so reflective of their whole relationship. It was so real and so honest and just so um, 
it, it just represented the two of them so beautifully. So it, it's just a great piece of writing. Um, it, it's found in the book um, on stories and other essays on literature, uh, some of Lewis's essays. If anybody listening to this just wants to go grab it and read the whole thing, you really should because it's great. That was beautiful. I, I think we found the note to end on. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. We we usually ask um, most most people something along these lines or or each other um, if we don't have other because this is actually oh. our first interview with a real scholar. Um, we we had we had uh, another scholar on to do a chapter a few chapters of Totally Had Faces the other the other day. This is our first interview about a book with a. Um, real scholar. So, um, so we are, this has been just wonderful and it's been wonderful to hear you talk about the book and wonderful to read your book as well. Everyone yeah. go, you know, all, all 12 of you who listen to this podcast, <laughs> go pick up a copy. I have more family um, members than that. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay, good. Um, um, what's, what's, uh, just out of curiosity, what's your favorite, um, are, are there many sayers, uh, adaptations of like say like her mystery you don't remember or... the 80s uh movies of lord peter whimsy <sighs> i think maybe i've seen one um, yeah there was a whole i think i think the bbc did it it was a whole mm -hmm. um series it's interesting that um they there were two different actors who played uh peter uh, Ian Carmichael did all the ones, I, I, I'm pretty sure he did all the ones without Harriet and Edward Petherbridge did all the ones with Harriet. Hmm. And by the way, Harriet Walter played Harriet Vane and she was marvelous. <laughs> I mean, she oh, was wow. like, she was like definitive. But as far as Peter goes, um, I lean a little bit towards Carmichael. I, I always say it would be great if the two men could have been like rolled into one because Petherbridge had the look. I mean, he had the blonde hair, the sort of languid expression, the monocle, he had like the, the lean build, he had all that. Um, Carmichael didn't so much have the look, but he had the personality, you know, he had the wit and the charm and uh, Petherbridge was just like a little bit, um, uh, well, I just used the word languid. I mean, his whole performance was a little bit like that. So, um, so yeah, that's why I'm sort of uh, drawn to the Carmichael portrayal. But then I, I like to watch Harriet Walter being Harriet Vane. So, so I have to watch those two. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Thank you. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for, for being on with us again. This is just a delight and uh, oh. reading the book was a delight and uh, yeah, just uh, um, uh, come back one day and we'd love to have you on again. I would uh, love to. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. And amen. Yeah. <laughs> all so right. Much. Well, thank you all uh, for listening. Um, and um, again, this has been an interview with Gina Delfonso about her book, Dorothy and Jack. Um, available at an Amazon near you. Thanks or an again. independent bookseller. If or you can an find independent that. bookseller. Yes. Come on. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm lazy and I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> up on
pleasant encounter, full of joy, unscheduled on the Geeson fan, with here an addict of Tolkien, there a Charles Williams fan.